This is Dollars and Change, a podcast about the intersection of business and social impact. Brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. Welcome to Dollars and Change. I'm Catherine Klein. I'm the Vice Dean for Social Impact uh, here at Wharton, and I'm really delighted today to be speaking with Dave Gilboa, the co-CEO and co-founder of Warby Parker, uh, the very well-known eyewear brand known for its design, its fashion, its technology, known for starting at Wharton uh, and you know, known for its commitment to positive impact. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Uh, excited to chat today. Thank you so much. So let's. we have so much to talk about, but I do think we should acknowledge uh, here in 2021 that it has been an extraordinary year, pretty much a year since uh, many of us uh, had to pivot our lives, change our lives dramatically uh, given COVID. Uh, at a high level, how, what do you think you've learned in the last year as you've had to pivot a lot about Warby Parker. Highlight a couple of the most important lessons you've learned. Yeah, I'd say we've, we've learned a lot. Uh, probably had uh, a decade of learnings in uh, a period of, of a few months. And uh, first and foremost, uh, the uh, importance of flexibility. Um, so we've had to change every aspect of our business from um, shutting down our offices, closing all our retail stores, uh, uh, closing our optical lab where we produce glasses, unbolting production lines, moving stations uh, more than six feet apart, uh, implementing um, uh, mandatory sanitization, uh, uh, temperature checks, uh, regular COVID testing for our entire team, figuring out how to operate in a fully remote environment, um, figuring out how to serve customers that all of a sudden uh, weren't able uh, to shop with us in in ways that they're used to, weren't able to go and to get in-person exams, and pivoting uh, to really focus on our e-commerce offering and our telemedicine offering, and finding ways to um, to be productive as a team, even uh, though everyone was uh, kind of isolated, and uh, we. Uh, I think are uh, just so proud and impressed by uh, the resilience that our, our team has shown um, over uh, the period of the last year, how we've all come together, um, how we've all been uh, able and willing to support one another um, and go that extra mile and, 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 and be as flexible um, as is needed given um, how quickly uh, we've had to respond to new information uh, and make adjustments on the fly. And uh, I'd say you know, probably the, uh, the, the second um, area in, in conjunction with flexibility is uh, being extremely clear uh, uh, with our values and um, how those values help us prioritize decision-making. And so yeah. um, we had to make the most challenging decisions that we've ever had to make as a business. Um, one example being when we shut down all of our retail stores on March 12th of last year, I, we were one of the first national retailers to do so, um, the first optical retailer to do so. And this is when um, there was new information that was emerging that uh, this uh, that COVID-19 was going to be really serious, but um, there was still uh, a lot of uncertainty and we didn't feel like we could operate our stores and keep our team safe and keep our customers safe uh, 
Um, and so uh, even though more than half of our sales came from our stores, uh, we made the decision to shut all those stores down. And uh, we had 1,500 retail employees that um, all of a sudden uh, we had to think about how to, uh, how to um, deal uh, with a situation where we didn't know how long um, those stores were going to be closed. And uh, we decided to uh, pay um, all those uh, team members for several weeks and in ensure that um, we guaranteed their their wages for several months. And um, you know those types of decisions um, were kind of challenging at the moment, but leading with our values and being very clear that the health and safety uh, of our team was our number one priority uh, kind of made um, those uh, uh, decisions um, easier and, and, and clearer um, while we were responding to, to new information on uh, kind of an almost an uh, hourly basis. Right. Wow. Uh, you, you paint a, you know, such an impressive and uh, intense picture of, of all the ways Warby Parker has had to adapt. And, you know, and, and it's a story, of course, that many companies have faced, many families have faced, many individuals have faced, but as we look back over the last year, it's, you know, it's remarkable to see all the kinds of changes we've, we've had to make and you've had to make. Um, you've talked about prioritizing your values and, and holding true to your values. And, and that has always been a, um, a part of Warby Parker. When you launched, you launched uh, with the buy a pair, give a pair um, commitment that has been an, an, you know, an important part of your strategy, your brand, your commitment. Um, and, and I'm curious how that has evolved during you know, COVID, how that has evolved over, over time. Um, so, you know, again, so much to talk about, but hopefully you can give us at least a little picture since we, you know, many of people will know this program well. What does it look like today? Sure. Yeah. So we, we launched Orby Parker in, in early 2010, and uh, we were excited to bring uh, innovation to a massive industry that um, we thought was overcharging consumers and uh, really not investing in product or distribution innovation and, and thought that there was kind of a better way uh, to offer really high quality, beautiful products at uh, a reasonable price point and uh, create delightful experiences around it. Uh, but we were equally excited to create a for-profit business that does good in the world. And uh, we were motivated as founders uh, to do that. We wanted to build something into the fabric of the company where uh, as we scaled, our, our impact also scaled. And um, we recognized that that was also going to be an opportunity to attract really talented, curious, passionate uh, employees who wanted work to work for a mission-driven organization. It was also going to be an opportunity to build closer relationships with um, our customers. And so we uh, fundamentally believed that uh, it was an opportunity to have positive impact that was motivating for all of us, uh, but it was also going to be good for business and there was going to be a very high uh, business ROI of having uh, that strong social mission embedded in, into everything that we did. And, um, and so one of the kind of core programs around that is our buy a pair, give a pair program where for every pair of glasses we sell, we work with nonprofit partners to distribute a pair of glasses to someone in need. And um, throughout our history, most of those, uh, so we've now uh, distributed over 8 million pairs of glasses to, to people in need. And uh, most of those glasses have gone um, to uh, people in communities 
in the developing world. And we work with great partners like Vision Spring, um, who have a presence on the ground in dozens of countries uh, throughout the world. They go uh, out and administer um, vision tests and, and uh, eye exams and then um, uh, sell subsidized glasses into those communities. And uh, those programs um, have been scaling really well, uh, but of course, in every, every region of the world was impacted by the pandemic. And um, we didn't feel it was safe and our nonprofit partners didn't feel it was safe to continue um, with some of these uh, vision campaigns in, in their communities. Um, but at the same time, those communities uh, needed a lot of help in, in uh, how to deal with the, the pandemic. And so um, we immediately pivoted uh, back in, in uh, April uh, to work with our supply chain partners and some of our nonprofit supply chain partners to help source PPE, uh, personal protective equipment, and um, offer everything from masks and, and face shields to, to gloves and hand washing stations uh, to uh, communities in the developing world that didn't have access to, to these um, protective um, uh, provisions that were becoming commonplace in our own communities here in, in the U.S. And so um, we are excited that uh, we were able to you know, continue um, just help uh, helping uh, communities that, that needed help uh, throughout uh, the, the period of, of the last several months when uh, we couldn't get as many glasses on, on people's faces as possible. And then uh, the other program that uh, we're uh, excited to scale, we call Pupils Project where uh, we go into schools in the US, uh, offer free vision screenings, eye exams, and then free glasses to any student who, who needs them. And- you need to underscore that they, they play on words here, that this is- uh, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, uh, we call it Pupils Project, which uh, sort of sits at the intersection of eyes and uh, pupils being students. And uh, we, we recognize the need in our own backyard. Um, so our company is headquartered in New York and uh, there are 1.1 million students in the New York City public school system. It's the largest uh, school system in the country. And uh, we set up uh, a few pilot programs in uh, schools around uh, New York and we had a number of our own employees volunteer, a number of our own optometrists volunteer uh, to set up uh, single day clinics where uh, we did uh, just free screenings for uh, for students to understand uh, how many of them um, were visually impaired and how many of them actually had glasses to correct that impairment. And uh, we found that up to 25% of these students uh, needed glasses and didn't have access to them. And they were disproportionately located in low income areas. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and so we uh, that was incredibly eye-opening, no, no pun intended. Um, and so we immediately tried to figure out how can we help solve this problem? And, and we were able to establish a public-private partnership um, with the mayor's office in New York where they allocated over $10 million of funding. Warby Parker put up um, a significant amount of funding. And we started going into schools and um, offering free uh, vision screenings, exams, and, and glasses to any student that, that needs them. And then um, since we launched that program in 2015, we've expanded to Baltimore, Philadelphia, Washington, DC, and, and soon a number of other cities. And uh, we had to put um, a lot of those efforts on pause 
while schools have been closed or in-person classes have been closed, uh, but we're uh, eager to uh, really scale up uh, those initiatives as soon as um, all students are back in classrooms. It's a, it's a stunning number that you estimate that 25% of kids in these school systems and these are public school systems need glasses and, and, and don't have it. Um, so, um, yeah, it's pretty staggering. And uh, a, a lot of these kids really don't have the same opportunities as a result of this visual impairment that um, is imminently solvable. Glasses have been around for 800 years and it's a failure of society, especially you know, one of the wealthiest cities in the world of New York, um, where there are uh, 200,000 students who need glasses that don't have access to them. Um, and so uh, we're um, hopefully creating uh, a lot of opportunities for um, students directly through this program um, and also creating awareness of, of how big an issue this is. Right. Yeah. I mean, clearly a tremendous need for both, but I, I, these numbers are, you know, as you said, they're staggering. I had no idea. I don't know what, I don't know that I ever thought about this. If you'd asked me to estimate um, the, the size of the problem, but it is, that's a stunning, uh, a stunning and, and worrisome number. So in, as we think about these issues and we look back at the last year, um, obviously the last year has brought, you know, for many people in the United States, for many business leaders, um, just strengthened awareness of uh, racial equity challenges in this country, racial inequality, um, and just economic inequality um, overall. And I'd, lo I'd love to talk to you about how you think about that as a, uh, you know, a co-CEO and co-founder of Warby Parker and what you're doing. So this past summer, you uh, released your racial equity strategy, a new racial equity strategy. Um, you, um, you know, established new racial equity pillars as part of your 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 value statement, your social innovation. And I'm looking at this, um, and uh, and I'll say, and maybe I can quickly summarize four goals uh, out of ten. Um, and you can talk. I'd love to then hear both how you came to these. And, and, and how it's going. Um, the first goal, increase black and BIPOC representation and leadership of Warby B. Parker, you know, an issue of representation. Uh, the second goal seems to me to be, well, I, I, my note says belonging. Increase engagement and belonging among our BIPOC team members. So representation, belonging. Um, number three is about career advancement and career opportunities. Create more growth opportunities for our BIPOC team members. And, uh, and number four is um, fluency, uh, which I also thought was quite interesting. Build greater fluency around topics related to inclusion, equity, and diversity across all levels of Warby Parker. So representation, belonging, career advancement and growth, and fluency. How did you come to these? What was the process how, uh, you know, of, of getting to this level of clarity? Um, you know, and establishing goals, including numerical goals around representation. Yeah, so uh, racial equity has always been something that um, has been a focus at Warby Parker uh, ever since our, our launch back in, in 2010. But in the wake of the George Floyd murder and other events that were, were happening uh, in the country um, several months ago, I think it forced 
really important conversations for us to have as a nation and for every organization to have, um, to look internally and ask um, if we're doing enough. Um, and uh, for us, I think it was an opportunity for us uh, to clear, more clearly articulate um, our goals and objectives and ensure that our entire team um, was aligned around those goals and, and aligned around how we could have impact. And so uh, we had a series of, of conversations um, within our team where we involved uh, everyone at the company, um, but we particularly wanted to hear from our Black and, and BIPOC team members. And so uh, uh, Neil and I, my uh, co-founder and, and co-CEO, and um, our other executives uh, did a listening tour. It was a virtual listening tour given um, everyone was remote. Uh, but we really wanted to hear uh, about the experiences that our Black and, and BIPOC team members um, had within Warby Parker and within their communities to um, really ensure that um, we were hearing their voices and, and um, uh, that they could help us craft um, opportunities to, to create real impact. And, and so um, okay. after... Um, can you tell us about what, what did you learn in this process? What was, um, yeah, what stood out for you that you thought, wow, I didn't know this. I didn't understand this. Yeah, I think, um, you know, heard some things that were, yeah, really shocking and, and eye-opening um, uh, around areas uh, that, uh, you know, some people would probably call uh, microaggressions, um, and you know, a, a couple examples of that are um, we had a, a, a black a team member who was in the kitchen in our office um, washing uh, her own dishes that she had used, and um, a white team member came um, who didn't they didn't know each other, and uh, that white team member handed her. Uh, his used dishes um, under the assumption that she was on the janitorial staff. Um, and at, you know, hearing that was really upsetting. Um, and I you know, don't think that there was malintent um, on behalf of our white team member, um, but uh, that intent doesn't matter. Um, it, uh, you know, putting our, ourselves in uh, the, the shoes of our Black and, and BIPOC team members who might experience this um, was you know, really shocking and upsetting to hear. And you know, hearing about some of the experiences in our stores where um, a white customer um, might ask, uh, might be engaging uh, with uh, one of our Black team members in the store and ask to speak to the manager, even when uh, our uh, Black team member is that manager. Um, and you know, those types of experiences that, that we heard repeatedly um, made us realize that you know, even though uh, we think we're, we had been a, a fairly progressive company, um, that there's still a lot more that we need to do. Um, and uh, there is uh, a lot of opportunity for us to look internally at our own uh, practices and how we communicate and operate as a team. And then um, we hope to also impact um, the community around us and um, uh, leverage the resources that we have uh, to um, uh, positively impact uh, the world, not, not only within Orby Parker, but, but outside of it as well. And so you know, a couple examples you mentioned um, uh, around uh, representation in leadership. Um, so 
Uh, we had been <clears throat> um, publishing our some diversity stats in our impact report for the, the previous uh, two years, which is available on our website. Uh, but we realized we hadn't gotten um, super granular. And um, we had previously just published kind of our overall um, Warby Parker statistics, um, but thought it was really important to break that down by level and show that there are differences um, in representation um, amongst our senior leadership levels and people managers relative to the overall uh, employee base. And uh, we wanna work to, uh, to correct that. Uh, and so um, these are long-term initiatives, uh, but we wanna be transparent around where we are and how we make progress over time. Um, and I just got an update that you know, over the last year, um, half of our, the people managers that we hired identify as BIPOC. And so you know, I think that's a, an indication that we're um, kind of on the right path, but it's gonna um, require a lot of work um, for us to you know, have a truly representative organization at, at all levels. Um, and at the same time, we think that there's opportunities that we can help increase representation outside of Warby Parker. So um, we uh, now employ or work with over 100 optometrists. Um, less than 3% uh, of all optometrists in the US identify as black. And uh, so we um, started working with NECO, the New England College of Optometry, one of the um, best optometry schools in the country. And we endowed um, full-time scholarships for, uh, uh, for uh, black optometrists. And uh, we think that um, you know, it's an opportunity for us to play a role in uh, creating better representation, creating better opportunities um, for uh, black and, and BIPOC um, citizens, uh, whether they work for, for Warby Parker or not. Do you think when you look at what other companies are, are doing, because many companies are strengthening their diversity practices, um, do you think, is there any one thing that you think that um, Warby Parker is doing, has learned, that you would encourage other companies to take this extra step? Because, you know, as I said, I, I, my impression is this is a quite well thought out um, document. You've made a lot of commitments. Um, establish goals. Yeah, I'd say the probably the, the biggest thing is um, that you know we've learned in every aspect of our business is that you only manage what you measure, and if you don't clearly articulate goals, if you don't clearly publish your statistics and data and make that transparent to everyone in your organization and people outside the organization. Um, this is never going to be enough of a focus. And um, certainly there are a lot of programs and trainings on uh, unconscious bias and uh, inclusive interview training and things that we're doing that we think every organization should be doing. Um, but if you don't have clear objectives and clear data that you can measure um, longer term progress against, then um, yeah, my fear would be that um, some yeah, initial motivation to put uh, kind of some of these programs in place, but that's going to wane over time. And so we will continue to, uh, to publish public reports around how we're um, progressing against each of our objectives and, and would encourage uh, every other company to do the same. Great. 
Um, and then obviously uh, very closely related to, you know, racial disparities in this country are income and wealth inequalities. Uh, and we've seen those, if we didn't know they existed, one need only look at COVID statistics to really understand the kind of disparities we have in this country around you know, who are essential workers, who has access to um, healthcare, who can stay at home and work comfortably away from the risk of COVID or substantially reduced risk. And I wonder as you think about the inequality in the US, how you think about the role of Warby Parker, you know, the business community and your business, what does this say to you about how you compensate executives? What does this say to you about, um, you know, your your employment practices, and um, you know, and and some challenges that businesses may face, I think, in living to values, and then but also competing. An obvious question that many would ask: Oh, you know, yes, 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 there are these disparities in this country, but I have to pay executives at this level to retain them, but I have to pay employees at this level to make a profit. What are you thinking about these issues? Yeah, it's certainly something that um, is top of mind and is uh, certainly uh, doesn't have an easy solution. Uh, but we, we've always thought of Warby Parker as an organization that has uh, an opportunity to, to prove that you can have your cake and eat it too, um, that you can build a great for-profit business uh, that also is stakeholder-centric, that cares about um, not only customers and shareholders, uh, but also employees in the, in the broader community and um, creating opportunities, uh, economic opportunities and um, finding ways to leverage our platform um, as a ways uh, to um, show that you don't need uh, kind of the, this wild disparity in, in pay uh, uh, at, at different levels um, and that um, employees might be attracted to come to Warby Parker even though they know um, that they could be making more money elsewhere. Uh, if they are at kind of those senior executive levels, but they're really motivated uh, by the opportunity to create impact. Um, so that that's kind of one way that we think about it. And then the other is how can we use the, the products and services that we sell to um, help level the playing field and give as many people opportunities as possible. Um, and that starts by offering you know, products that, that help people see and, and making them as affordable and as convenient as possible. Um, and then focusing on those communities and individuals who uh, can't afford a $95 pair of glasses or don't have access to them um, through our initiatives, like our buy pair, give a pair program or uh, people's project. And our um, hope is to give as many people um, fair opportunities uh, um, through education uh, and eventually um, through employment as, as possible. So we need to wrap up. Thank you so much for, for talking with us so much. Uh, and just a, a fascinating conversation. Terrific to understand what Warby Parker is doing and how you are wrestling with it. I suppose continuing to wrestle with COVID. We're, we are not at the end yet. Um, and to engage on these you know, critical social issues, not only around the world far away, but at, at home in the US. So thank you so much for, for joining us. Great. Thanks for having me on. 
Dollars and Change is brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. To learn more, visit us at socialimpact.wharton.upenn.edu.